You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Our podcast team is taking a break this week from the daily news. But don't fret, you can get your daily dose of cybersecurity news at our website, thecyberwire.com. In the meantime, we've got interviews for you this week, some interesting people we've talked to throughout the year. So stay with us. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. I think it's very interesting, and we've heard a lot of this uh, across the InfoSec space lately about the changing role of the CISO. That's Andrew Wild. He's the Chief Information Security Officer at QTS Data Centers. I do think it's really important to talk about this because it has changed significantly. Uh, we've adopted the role has, has changed from being really focused on technical implementation of security controls, you know, from being responsible for, for managing firewalls and uh, overseeing the configuration of intrusion detection and other technology controls, 
really transforming into being responsible for advising the organization about the management of IT risk. Uh, now that does, you know, obviously include in many cases the operation of the technology controls, but the focus is really shifting towards management of risk. Yeah, I, I certainly hear that uh, from a lot of folks, and um, it seems almost to me like you're sort of a, a translator between some of the technical people and the higher-ups in the company. Yeah, it's an interesting role because there is the need to be able to manage technology folks and also provide guidance and direction to technologists, but there's also a need to communicate across a, a different group of folks within the organization. But I spent a lot of time dealing with uh, the general counsel's office and speaking with the different lawyers uh, within the organization, the attorneys who are very focused on managing contractual risks to the organization. I spend time speaking with the CFO and the folks in the finance organization talking about financial risks that can result from IT security issues. Uh, so it does require the ability to communicate effectively, not only in the technology space, uh, but also across different disciplines. Can you give us an idea of how you go about setting your priorities? Well, oftentimes the priorities aren't necessarily set by me. I have to react to them. Mm. Uh, you know, this is a very dynamic world in which we live in. And the IT security risks or the cyber risks, if you prefer that term, are changing very rapidly. Uh, so in many cases, the priorities I set are dictated by the world in which we live. Uh, there are threats that the organization's facing. And we know today, and this has been a gradual learning curve for most of us, uh, that we can't rely upon prevention being 100% effective. Uh, so it's an effort to focus on managing risks and how to understand the risks, uh, how to prioritize them, and then how to most effectively use the limited resources that we have uh, to try to minimize the risks. And, and how do you go about doing that in terms of, um, you know, again, prioritization of the, the budget and resources that you have? What, how does that guide your decision-making process? Well, the reality for me, at least, is that the priorities are, like I mentioned earlier, but I'll go into a little more detail now, are oftentimes somewhat dictated by external driving forces. You know, we hear the term compliance and security, and are they against each other? Are they aligned? But the bottom line is, for most folks in the security world, compliance is the minimum requirement. So you have to be able to address your compliance needs or you can't stay in business. Uh, that's a driver of priorities is ensuring that we meet our compliance obligations. Uh, but outside of compliance, then we start to then have the ability to look at, well, what do we believe the threat landscape is? And if you look at what most organizations are seeing today, uh, the, I mean, the common refrain is that the, still the two biggest attack vectors are email and web browsing for an introduction of malware into an organization that it can, can impact the confidentiality, integrity, or availability of the organization's information. So once you get past the fact that, okay, I've allocated my resources to be able to meet my compliance organizations, then you have to do the threat assessment of what does the threat landscape look like for this organization. And I would say that most organizations are probably focused right now mainly on, and it sounds simple, but it's hard to do, uh, the email-borne attack vector as well as the web browsing attack vector. That's what are probably the biggest visibility. But then the other priorities have to be on your security staff is never as large as you would like it to be. I mean, at the end of the day, security is, for most organizations, not a revenue-generating function. So you're a cost – uh, a needed cost, but yet a cost. So you're not going to have the resources that you would like to have in most or cases. So you've got to prioritize and determine what do you put where 
one of the things that I found effective to do is to uh, leverage a concept of force multipliers. So you don't have enough security people in your staff, but what can you do to enlist, uh, deputize, whatever word you want to use to grow the effectiveness of your organization by leveraging other people in the organization? This is partly done through security awareness uh, and also partly done by just seeking out people across the organization that have a passion for information security and seeing how you can bring them in and leverage that passion to be additional eyes and ears for what's happening uh, in your organization. It's not just about depending upon your technology solutions to sense and detect issues. It's about leveraging the people in your organizations that are on the systems that are doing their jobs every day to look for things that are unusual and then bring those to your InfoSec team that you can then leverage that to go and investigate uh, potential issues. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. I mean, I, I, and one thing I, I hear often is um, the importance of, of properly setting incentives. Uh, I think many of us think of uh, the IT department, you know, is, is sometimes it's almost a, a stereotype about, uh, you know, them being the department that tells you everything that you can't do. But um, if you put in positive incentives for people to be part of the team, which is what it sounds like you're proposing, um, that can really uh, be a, a different force in, in a different direction. Yeah, and I think it's one way that, that can be handled, at least in the organization I'm in now, IT is separate from security. So because if you hmm. think about it, in general, IT organizations and security organizations, while the end goal might be the same, the near-term goal is not the same. IT is really all about availability. And they'll do whatever they need to do to ensure the availability uh, is maintained. And sometimes that does mean telling users no because they see that as a threat to availability. Whereas modern-day security orgs are really focused on, and I'm going to use the buzzword here, business enablement, which is understanding that you are consultative to the organization to achieve their business objectives. You can't do that by saying no. There's got to be a, a way to say yes to help them get to what the end state that they want. Uh, now, sometimes it does mean no, but you know you can't do this, but we can do it this way, mm -hmm. uh, which which can be effective. There is great value in trying to uh, collaborate across the organization and get that support from different folks around the organization. And sometimes, especially in organizations that have adopted cloud solutions. So you've got that shadow IT function going on. The ability to have that uh, support throughout the organization, because there are things happening that you're just not going to know about. And if you don't have the trust across the organization, that if they come to you and someone says, hey, you know, we're using this new tool and it doesn't seem quite right. If they, they're not going to come to you with that if they think as soon as you find out about it, you're going to go up the flagpole and shut them down. Right. Right, and I've heard people say, you know, I, I, my, I don't get my annual bonus based on my security posture or behavior, you know, as, as someone who's not in the security department. It's an anchor. It's a drag on my ability to get my work done. There is that view uh, and the way to combat that, and it's a cultural change for an organization, is there has to be that engagement at the senior leader level. Mm. They have to understand the InfoSec program itself has to be aligned to ensure the focus is managing risk, not just about absolute prevention mindset or a mindset, well, you know, this is bad, so we don't do this. The program has to be aligned to risks, and you have to be able to communicate with the executive staff what the risks are and what the company has put in place to be able to minimize those risks. Because if you don't get the support from the executives, 
then you end up with your infosec team trying to be a police force and you can't win that way if you're going around and policing people all the time you're not going to get that collaboration across the organization in the time that you've been in the business and you you've got over 20 years experience uh, in the industry uh, what are some of the the major changes that you've seen well first and foremost i think this pivot to being a risk manager is a significant change. Uh, when I came in, it really was about the technology. It was about managing the firewalls, managing the identity systems. And that's still an important component, but the transition to focus on risk and the ability to have those discussions at the executive level really has changed things. Uh, the programs now are much more tightly aligned to business objectives because those discussions are happening with a vocabulary and a level that are at the senior leader level where they understand the reason why, and they don't necessarily need to understand the technologies behind the risk mitigation, but the fact that risk is something they can quantifiably understand. You know, at the executive level, they've been managing risk forever. Uh, some organizations don't manage it well, and they don't stay around very long, but the ones that are good at it, they understand financial risk, they understand contractual risk, uh, and now they're beginning to understand information security risk because of the changes in that the IT security risk function has now been elevated to that executive level where it's not just seen as a, oh, that's the guys in the back room that um, just configure the boxes to make sure everything's okay. Because right. configuring the boxes in the back room is not going to get it done with today's threat landscape. There has to be an understanding at the executive level that this is a, a compromise. It's a trade-off. We're doing this. And we estimate the risk of this, and this is how we're planning to mitigate it, but it changes often. And if there's not that recurring dialogue at the executive level to have that discussion about where the security program's going, you know, where it is, where are the shortcomings in the program, you know, if that doesn't happen regularly, you're not positioned to really be successful. My sense is that we're at a point where the boards of directors are really understanding that uh, this security uh, posture needs to be a part of the organization throughout. It's not just, a, like you said earlier, a, a side organization that sort of keeps the boxes running. Right. And I've been fortunate that the organizations in which I've been a part of recently have been very active and focused in communicating with the boards. You don't expect the board of directors to be the cyber experts, but you do want them to understand it is one of the three principal forms of risk to an organization. There are many, but I would bucketize them into IT security risk, contractual risk, uh, you know, contractual legal, and then financial risk. And as long as the board understands that, and then they're willing to, well, it's oftentimes not willing, if they are agreeable to spending time, and, and you usually don't have to ask this, they want to know the information, mm. uh, to get updates frequently on what is the status of the program, and get that readout directly to the board, that then makes the executives more comfortable, it makes the board members more comfortable, uh, and it just works better for the organization. That's Andrew Wild from QTS Data Centers. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. 
Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the CyberWire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.